Well, greetings on this Valentine's Sunday, and today on Transfiguration Sunday as well. And at the beginning of, our, of this calendar year, we started a series called The Call of God, that God has actually summoned you. He has chosen you to be his own. And he has said, follow Jesus. He's given you his spirit. His spirit has come into your life and uh, has called you to, be, to, uh, to follow along. Now, what you do with that, that's where God says that you can use your wisdom, you can use your mind, you can even use your hardened heart. But that doesn't negate the call. And so we've looked at a few people who have been called. We looked at Samuel. Remember what he was told to pray when God's spirit speaks? What was he told by Eli to say? He said, speak, Lord. Your servant listens. Then we looked at Jonah, who knew of, of God's mercy, but he didn't like it. And we never know for sure whether Jonah really accepted the merciful heart of God or came to grips with it uh, because he ended up pouting that uh, the town of Nineveh was actually saved. We looked at Andrew and Peter who were called to follow the great prophet, this ultimate uh, word of God, the revelation of God in Jesus Christ. So it's in in him that they knew what God was like. And then we looked at... uh, the fishermen who, were, who wanted to stay in Capernaum and say, let's make a hospital here. Let's stay right here. And Jesus said, no. No. We're going to keep going. There's other towns to which I was called. There's other places to which we are called. We're called to go beyond our own uh, internal uh, desires of our own. And in that process, the disciples all were called. They were shaped they were changed, and the same is true for you. Hanging around with Jesus, paying attention, you're going to be changed. You're going to be shaped. You are shaped to learn to love or to love how Jesus loves. You're lear- you are shaped to love what he loves. And that's what being a follower of Jesus Christ is all about. And that call of God always has those two parts. We're called to follow God, but we're also called to, uh, to our neighbor. And God would say the two, are, the two are one. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as yourself. You want to serve the invisible God? Learn to serve your neighbor. Learn what that means. And to walk in his ways. And today we see Jesus pulls back the curtain on who he really is. And he glows, right? He just becomes this bright light. And this light of the world shows the glory of God. And Mark, who is, who is writing this, uh, probably from interviewing Peter, as we know, uh, Peter was mentored by, or Mark was mentored by Peter. And this is what he writes. His clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth can bleach them. He's God living with his people. That's what Jesus is showing. This is God. Not a good idea. Uh, Not just a good idea. But this is God living among his people. And today I pray that you receive the glory of Christ. That word of Christ growing in your heart. And then you share that glory. And as we're going to see, there's not some specific pattern. There's things to do, certainly, for every one of us. But for each one of us, it takes a little different shape and it takes a little different challenge. 
Well, first of all, I hope you see that Jesus illuminated the world. He, he is God living among his people. And if you had your Bible with you, uh, the actual physical Bible, if you were to open just the book of Mark, you would see that <coughs> this part of Mark is the exact center of the book of Mark. It's the exact middle, and that's significant for an ancient piece of literature because a writing you didn't have unlimited uh, f paper in your photocopier. You had a scroll that was so long, and you had to figure out how much can you fit on that scroll or, the, uh, or on that piece of paper. And so very specifically and systematically, Mark would have thought, here's the beginning, here's the end, and here's the middle. And what's at the beginning and what's at the end are things that are very important. And Mark is signaling by the location of this in his gospel, this is a significant thing where Jesus is showing who he is. It's also significant where Jesus was. He's on a mountain. And on a mountain, there's, these are places of revelation. These are places where God is showing something even more valuable and more important. And then we hear the voice of God. Peter speaks just because he wants to, doesn't, he's nervous and he, he doesn't know what to do. The Bible says he's terrified. I'm sure he was. But the voice of God speaks. The voice of God fills the area. He says, this is my son. Listen to him. Listen to him. And his appearance, garbed in white, a brilliant figure, and when it comes to looking at Jesus, the transfigured one, it's kind of blinding, isn't it? It's, and even as i contemplating this, what do I preach about? He's white. He's, he's bright, right? What does that mean? And it's blinding for us too. This is an interesting metaphor. He's not Jesus the healer. He's not Jesus the redeemer. He's not Jesus the adoptive parent. He's, Jesus, he's not Jesus the rescuer. He's Jesus the bright light. And what is that saying? Well, he's showing the glory of God to people. He's showing that God is really with us. As it evokes the, the prophecy of Daniel from Daniel chapter 7, uh, as Daniel sees this vision of the Godhead that would be fulfilled in Revelation. And if you want to read this passage with me, read it with me from Daniel chapter 7. The Ancient of Days took his seat, his clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. The holiness of God, his purity, his beauty, they're difficult for human beings to comprehend. But it's not impossible for us to comprehend. This is Jesus. This is God. He's worth listening to. He's worth paying attention to. He's worth following. And the truth is you need him. Every one of us needs him. You are strong. You're healthy. But someday you won't be. You're finite. This is the infinite, infinite God. This is the infinite being who calls you, who calls you rich or poor, young or old, to come and follow him. You need him. 
and he gives himself to you. He makes himself known for the whole world to see and not as a scolding parent, not as a scolding God, but as a God of mercy and grace for people to come and follow. And he shows them exactly who he is. And that's why John, who was with him, would write down, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he does appear, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who hopes in him purifies himself as he was pure. The three disciples see Jesus transfigured. He's changed. And his appearance changes. The word is metamorphosis, right? If you're a science person, earth science, or even biological science, you know that word. It's that change. And God changes you. If you follow him, you're going to be changed. You'll be changed to become more and more like Christ. Peter's overwhelmed. He's a babbling fool. But God takes over. And he speaks. And the great cloud overshadows them, and the disciples hit the dust. <laughs> They're in the ground, and then they look up, and as fast as it happens, as fast as it's all over. And Jesus says, okay, let's go down. Let's go down this hill. Let's go down this mountain. Don't say anything yet. Not quite time. And he's on his way to Jerusalem, and we know that, and we know what's going to be happening to Jesus, and uh, that's why we're celebrating uh, Ash Wednesday and the, all, all of those things. But Jesus transforms you and me along the way, too, just as he would transform his disciples to become more and more like Christ. And that's what godly living really is, to be illuminating in this world. And that's another thing I hope you grab onto. Now, you don't just give a take it or leave it, leave it attitude. The kind of an interesting, funky story. It is, but there's transformation. There's uh, transformation for you and me. Jesus says, uh, and Paul talks about, there's a real difference between human nature, basic human nature, and being a follower of God. And he talks about that in Galatians chapter 5. And this is what he writes. Now, the work of the corrupt nature, our native uh, Thoughts are obvious, illicit sex, perversion, promiscuity, idolatry, drug use, hatred, rivalry, jealousy, angry outbursts, selfish ambition, conflict, factions, envy, drunkenness, wild partying, and similar things. And he says, those who do those kinds of things don't inherit the kingdom of God. And I find it interesting that he kind of lumps on selfish ambition with what, drunkenness and wild partying. Right? They're sins of the spirit and they're sins of the flesh. And we're pretty good on the sins of the flesh, but he talks about sins internally too. And then he says, but the spiritual fruit, nature, produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. No law against those things. And last week I cracked this open talked about love, joy, and peace. If you want to listen to that, you can follow it along on last week's sermon. But I'd like to take it further, the last six. Jesus shows the fruit of the Spirit because he is the fruit of the Spirit. He's God, and he brings 
He brings this fruit of the Spirit into our lives. He, he is patience. He's long-suffering. Not eager to cast anyone out. He desires all. Yes, all. Everybody to come to the knowledge of truth. Wherever they are. Whatever they're doing. Whatever they've done. God wants all to come to the knowledge of truth. And his hands don't strike, but they are, have the nail holes and the scars of his redeeming mark for us. His kindness turns his back on nobody. He's, he embraces holding out his forgiving arms. His goodness bringing good to those of us who have been bad. <laughs> he brings goodness. He's faithful, giving you righteousness in behalf, in, uh, for himself. He's gentleness, wiping away tears, comforting, kissing the scar away scars, caring with you through the valley of the shadow of death. He's gentleness, and he has self-control, doesn't lose his cool. Isn't that interesting? Oh, Jesus did become angry. But he doesn't, uh, he's not operating out of anger. He always does what he says he's going to do. He sticks to his word. And you might, you might, so that you always know he's going to do what he promises to do. You can trust that. And these are, the, these are the fruit of the spirit that Jesus is and to which he has called you. Love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And that's the illuminating part of this world that God calls you to. And I pray you would ask yourself, well, how do you live that out? You know, it's, this is what I mean by when I say it's, it's an adventure, not a formula. You know, the, the, what not to do, that's kind of easy. Okay, check that, don't get drunk, right? <laughs> it's not good, right? Don't, uh, don't angry outburst. Nope. Okay, got that one. But these other things, goodness, faithfulness, they're more aspirational. They're, they're not quite so concrete. And that's the call of, of being a follower of Jesus Christ. If you focus on the things you can't control, you'll miss the point. Jesus says, focus on the things you can control the people you daily encounter, the settings you find yourself in each and every day, in your home, in your school, in your work, in your neighborhood, in your, in your places of work, the officers that occupy the rules that are given to you. You see, you don't really choose those things, do you? They're given to you. You don't choose your family. You're born into a family. Now, it's true, parents decide probably to have children, but they don't pick the individual kids, right, that they get. They just come to them. And uh, uh, the sons and the daughters, they're asked to raise. God gives them to you. You don't vote who your siblings are as much as you'd like to, right? You might want to. They're your brothers and your sisters, and you're called into that family. None of us were consulted about who our parents would be. Or... Our grandparents, our aunts, and our uncles, for that matter. Yet I think most of us, or almost all of us, would say they're the most important people of our lives. We didn't choose them. 
They were given to us. They're the most formative and lasting relationships we have. You don't choose your family, and also you don't choose, for the most part, who your classmates will be, who your coworkers are be. If you go in the military, Uncle Sam's not going to ask you. You want to vote on who, who's going to be next to you and drill? It just is given, right? And I say that so that you can see this is a God-given place that we're called to. This is a God-given place we are called to, this church, your family, your work. And if it's God-given, he'll give you the strength to carry it through. That's a cool thing for Valentine's Day, for loving people. And even the big picture, as we heard from Valentine, of loving the child of the guy who was going to execute him. That's a choice. Not a warm, fuzzy feeling. These are the things to which God has called you and me. And he promises to uphold you in every calling you have, no matter how difficult it might be. And when you grow grow weary, and it does grow weary in the middle of February in West Michigan, doesn't it? After 10 months of COVID, it's tiring. But we're called to this. We're called to live it out, not according to our sinful nature, but to the fruit of the Son of God himself who made himself known to us, and he made himself known to you and me. Uh, Jeffrey Leininger tells a story of uh, Natalie and Micah, and it's in a book called The Callings of Life, which I was reading, and it's got a lot of little stories in it, and he tells this story of a couple who had been married for 25 years, just lovely couple. They were the kind of people that if you were on a committee at church, they'd be the people you want to be, upbeat, problem-solver kind of people who uh, don't get intimidated by a problem before it, but would joyfully bring their best effort and usually bring a solution. But he says it wasn't always that way. Because their youngest son, Nathan, was born with special needs. And it was tough on Natalie. So the story goes. Natalie was a go-getter. Natalie, high goals, high performance, high energy kind of young lady. She never really failed at anything. All of her life, she knew things worked out pretty good. And Nathan was born. And she saw him as a gift from God. In fact, that's what the name Nathan means, gift from God. But she began to wonder, why did I do this? Or what did I do? Did I do something wrong? How am I going to make it? And the story in the book goes on that Nathan, or that... uh, Natalie and Micah began to isolate themselves. They pulled themselves away from other people. They wouldn't even go to church anymore. Didn't want to be a burden. But, she says, Nathan's smile changed everything and God's word. Because she saw in Nathan uh, a positive, joyful attitude that about everything and everyone that he encountered. And it became a contagious fascin- fascination with the simplest of things That made him everybody's favorite. And they weren't exactly embarrassed to go to church, but they didn't want to be a burden, 
And so they went, and just the opposite happened. People loved having them there. They loved the burden, the noise, the problems that were carried out. And Natalie described the change that occurred with her, and I want you to listen to what she wrote. I had to get past the how come to embrace the what for. That is, I couldn't exhaust any more energy contemplating why does it happen to my family and not another's, what I might have done to deserve this, or how a good God could make all these things occur at all. They would never be an, there would never be an easy resolution to these questions. In my fixation with them, they only distracted me from what I eventually came to see as an even better question. What I could find answers for. In what ways could I see God at work through this Nathan and his smile? And it reminded me that he wasn't worried. He wasn't worried about his origins or his condition. He was ready to accept God's purpose for, for it. And both Micah and I embrace Nathan in our new lives. It's God-given, a God-given calling. Like others, we would experience blessings and we would experience burdens. But if it was from him, we also knew that we could fulfill with joy are taking care of Nathan. You see, there's burdens and blessings for each one of us. And it's very tempting to look at other people and see all their blessings and think, oh, man, they got it so great. And you look at your life and you say, I got all the burdens in the world. That's all you see. Let's flip it around. Certainly there's burdens to bear. If you're married, there's blessings and there's burdens, right? There's joys, and there's struggles. That's reality. If you're in a family, you'd like to vote somebody off the team, I'm sure, and they'd like to vote you off. There's blessings and there's burdens, and you can fixate on, oh, wouldn't it be great to be them? Or you can say, what am I called here for? What am I here for to do? How can I bring the light of Christ into this situation? That's what I mean by it's an adventure, not a formula. There's not a specific thing to do. But it's a calling to which you are called. In the very places and the faces and the spaces you're in right now to live the calling of Christ. And it's a God-given plan B or maybe J or even X, right? If things change, some people's marriage doesn't work. Doesn't mean a second marriage can't be blessed. And I'm not saying that to, uh, to say that's a good thing. It's just a step family is a place to live God's calling out too. And maybe that's where you're at. Or maybe there's some other things that, that he, you're in that you wouldn't never plan for or you never thought it'd be this way. And that's where you are. You can embrace it. You can bring the light of Christ into it. And that's what Paul is talking about. And that's, why we're gonna, that's what we're going to end with today. And if you reread that second section, that second lesson, he says there's hope. There's hope for us. In the power of God. In the presence of Christ. That's where hope is going to be found, in the real God of the transfiguration who shows himself for who he is, that glowing Jesus who brings the very uh, light of Christ into the world. 
And Paul brings on the Moses text, and Moses apparently, when he uh, got the Ten Commandments, he started to glow with the presence of God. And then when apparently, and this is in the, in the reading, apparently he started knowing he's glowing less, so he put a veil over his face so people wouldn't see he glowed less. Did, did you read that? And God says, yeah, let's show. But that's okay, because it's not about us. It's about Christ. And the God who gave light to shine in the darkness has also shone into your hearts, he says. To the knowledge of the glory of the God in the face of Jesus Christ. We've seen him. We've seen Jesus Christ. And he's the one who said to you and me, he who is the light of the world, let your light so shine. Why? So that others may see your good works and give glory to the Father who's in heaven. This week we're going to put together the, the uh, hug in a mug bags, right? And many of you have helped out getting the things together. And some of you are going to be taking them out. They're going to take them to places maybe you know. Maybe just people you don't know. I don't know. Let's pray it's not just giving candy and goodies. It is that. But it's more. It's to bring the blessings of Jesus Christ and his light into a dark world. And you're part of it. Amen. Father in heaven, thank you for the good news of Jesus Christ. And, so, and this is an interesting story for sure. But it has a lot of meaning. And it has a lot of hope. And may the God who says, let light shine out of, out of the darkness, continue to shine the very fruit of the Spirit into our hearts and our lives so that it may overflow for the good of the world in which we're placed. We pray these things. Give us a vision of that for Jesus' sake. Amen.